Colossians chapter 1, our text, verse 23. It's the word of the Lord. St. Paul says, If you indeed continue in the faith, firmly established and steadfast, and not moved away, and for our time this afternoon, from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, in which I, Paul, was made a minister, you may be seated. And may God add a blessing to the reading of his word. We consider this text last Sunday afternoon, and what we can solve from this text is that the word if in the beginning of verse 23 is not a conditional statement that depends upon your own strength and you isolated from God, but rather the main, the great, you could even say, blessing that we as Christians have is simply this, that God will keep you, that our God is a keeping God. He will keep us. And what we want to consider this afternoon is what Paul says in the fourth line, at least in my Bible. He says to be firmly established and steadfast and not moved away, and here it is, from the hope of the gospel. From the hope of the gospel. Everyone in this life has hope. They hope in something or someone. The sad reality is Everyone born not in Christ is born with no hope in the world. A a mother and a father might hope great things for their child to be a doctor, a lawyer, professional athlete. But St. Paul tells us that before Christ saved us, we were in the world without any hope. We were in the world without any hope. And what we want to consider this afternoon, saints, is... The great virtue of hope. The great virtue of hope. Many ministers talk about the virtue of faith, and we ought to. We talk about the virtue of love, in which we ought to. But saints, there is something that God gives to you that the world can't steal, that you cannot buy, with any amount of money that you can muster up. And that is hope. Hope. You have a sure hope. What is the virtue of hope? A virtue, simply put, saints, as Thomas Aquinas says, is a good quality of mind by which we live righteously, of which no one can make bad use, which God works in us and without us. Virtue, then, is what lives in the soul. Virtue lives within our minds. It lives in our wills. It lives in our passions. Virtue is not what we need, or is what we need to be not only good people, but to live holy unto God. To live holy unto God, you need to be a virtuous person. What does virtue do then? Virtue allows us not only to think about what is right, but actually do what is right. Many of us can fall into that dilemma. We know we should not eat the cookies, but we still eat the cookies. We know what is right, but we do not act upon what is right. Virtue then allows us to act upon the very things that we know we ought to do. The more we move, the more, saints, we do what is right. The more we're inclined 
to do the right thing when called upon. Again, the more we do what is right, the more inclined we'll be to do the right thing. Now, how do we get or obtain virtue? How do we get virtue then? How can I do the right thing? Well, there's many virtues we can obtain. By practice, you can obtain the virtues like temperance. You can obtain the virtues like fortitude and courage and justice. Many of you saints have obtained that virtue and are that virtue. I just spoke about my sister Rose and the virtue of justice that I believe she has and carries. There are many more virtues that we can obtain simply by practicing them. So the more courageous you are in times of needing to be courageous, then you will be and you will have the virtue of courage. The more times it's uh, you're in a position to act justly, then the virtue of justice will cultivate within your soul. Not that you'll just have something called justice, but you are justice. You are just. You're a just person. However, the Bible speaks of three virtues that you cannot obtain. The Bible speaks of three virtues that you cannot obtain by practice. These virtues are spoke of by St. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. But now faith, hope, and love remain. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Saints of God, faith, hope, and love are what's called the theological virtues. Theological virtues. And they're theological for two reasons. Number one, because God gives them to you. They're a gift from God. It's quite different. And the moral virtues, like justice or courage, we practice to obtain them in hopes to grabbing them. But with the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, God gives them to us at start. And then we practice them out. It's actually the moral virtues in reverse. The theological virtues then are a gift from God. You within your soul, you have the gift of faith, hope, and love. But also, the theological virtues are different from the moral virtues because the theological virtues, they orientate you toward God. They orientate you toward God. The moral virtues of prudence and temperance and justice and courage, they have their end on a natural level, meaning that the moral virtues are there for you to simply be a good person and to be good to others. But saints of God, faith, hope, and love, the theological virtues, they don't just perfect you on a natural level, but on a supernatural level. They don't make you good with respect to your neighbor. They make you good before God. They make you pleasing before God. The end of faith, hope, and love is not merely just for you to be good to your neighbor, but more so for you to give glory to God and for you to grow in his likeness. The more we practice faith, hope, and love, the more you become like God. You want to become like God? Practice faith, hope, and love. So with the gift of the Holy Spirit, we receive the virtues of faith, hope, and love in order to live the way God has commanded us to live. And these virtues, they redirect the soul from us not focusing upon 
are human ends. Human ends being what? Human ends can be something like, I hope I make it to the end of the year. A human end can be, I just hope I make it home. But rather, they focus us to the ultimate end, the end by which we all were created for. They orientate our minds, our eyes to God. God is my ultimate end. God is the one whom we all were created for. Now, how do we define virtue then, or the virtue of hope? How do we define the virtue of hope? There's various ways we can define hope, but we will say that the virtue of hope is a desire to be with God with confidence and trust in difficult times that we will be with God because God promises that we will be with him. This is the virtue of hope, saints, that we have a desire to be with God with confidence and trust even in difficult times that we will be with God. Why? Because God says we will be with him. Virtue of hope, then, is described as a desire of something, together with an expectation of obtaining it. I greatly desire this, but I know also that I'm going to get it. I'm longing for this, but I know I'm going to get it. I'm, if you've noticed already, I'm on a diet. Haven't had In-N-Out Burger in about three months. I greatly desire In-N-Out. And if anything in this world, I desire In-N-Out. And I know one day I'm going to obtain it. I'm going to obtain that three by three. I'm going to obtain the animal fries. I'm going to obtain the soda. I know I'm going to obtain it. St. Paul says in Colossians 1.5, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. And hear this. Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. Of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. Here, St. Paul describes heaven as a desire, as an expectation. Hebrews 11.1 Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The convictions of things not seen. Again, hope is, is described as an unseen future. Now this might seem to the world as sanity, an unseen future. And you believe in an unsaved, unsure future, they, they say. But notice, saints, it's not an unseen future to the point where we're wishful. I don't wish I'm going to heaven. Just as you shouldn't wish you go to heaven. I don't hope in a way in which maybe it'll come true or maybe it won't come true that I'm going to enter heaven. That's not the hope that God gives to us Christians. But rather, saints, together with the virtue of faith, St. Paul says, we can be assured of our hope. Assured of our hope. Meaning, saints, our hope is built on a solid foundation. Your hope is built on a solid foundation. This is much different than what we experience in this life. I hope that this this um, whatever uh, uh, pulpit will stand. But also it might not stand. We hope that the chair that you're sitting on will be able to carry you. But it might break. We hope that this building will stand the test of time, or at least, or at least as long as we're here on this earth. But one day this building 
will be no more. Everything in this life, saints, that we experience, we hope for, but we know that there is a there is something that might happen. There's something that might come about where the hope that we have hoped for did not come to fruition. St. Peter, though, he tells us something different. St. Peter tells you something different. Peter says in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has called us to be born again to a living hope. To a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Christ was raised, we have a living hope. Not a hope that's dead, but a living hope. John Gill says, this, this hope is not the hope of a dead sinner, of a lifeless hypocrite, of a former professor that has a name to live, but is dead. But a living bearer, believer, one made truly alive by the Spirit from Christ. You know, I was reflecting on St. Peter's words here, and I was trying to figure out how I could, you know, say this better, elaborate what Gill says better. And I thought to myself, this one thing, saints, based on St. Peter's words that we have a living hope, I thought to myself this, what a pitiful life it is to be an atheist. What a pitiful life it is to be an unbeliever. What a, what a wasteful life it is, a waste of a life it is to be a skeptic, to be an agnostic, to be someone on the fence. Such a waste of a life. And thank the Lord that he saved us. Thank the Lord that we are not the fools who say that there is no God. But what a wicked and unfulfilled life it is. Saints of God, young people especially, the Christian life is the fulfilled life. The Christian life is the fulfilled life. Why? Because you actually receive that which you were created for. God. But I thought to myself, we have a living hope. But man, I pity those who are not saved. It's been reported that there is about 1.9 billion Muslims in the world. Billion Muslims. It's been reported that there are 488 million Buddhists worldwide. That there's 8.5 Jehovah Witnesses in the world. Yes, we pray for their salvation, but saints of God, I feel sorry for them. I feel sorry for these people. Their gods are imaginary. Their prayers are empty. Their hope is built on soft sand. But saints of God, that cannot be said of you. That cannot be said of you. As much as a Muslim, as much as a Buddhist, as much as an atheist pities you, our hope is built on a solid foundation. We don't live as wishful Christians. We don't. We don't live as the Buddhist who believes in reincarnation. We don't believe like the Muslim who just hopes that if they do all that they can for Allah, that they'll get to paradise. We don't live like that. We don't live like the Roman Catholic who says that they have to go to purgatory to continue to, to wash away what Jesus Christ washed away on the cross. <laughs> no, we don't live like that congregation. 
we live as sure and confident believers. That's how we live. St. Paul reminds us, reminds us of this in Romans 5.5. 5. He says, and hope does not disappoint. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has given them to you. Saints of God, we have a hope that will never disappoint us. We have something that's for us in the future that we know will come. And this gift of Hope Congregation is one of the main themes of Jesus Christ's ministry. This was one of the main themes. St. Matthew says in Matthew 12, quoting Isaiah, Behold my servant whom I chosen, my beloved in whom I sold delight. I will put my spirit upon him. I will proclaim just to the nations. He will not quarrel. He will not cry out. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bent reed he will not break off. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish until he leads justice to victory. In verse 21, And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. And in his name, Gentiles, meaning you, will hope. We hope in our Savior. Isaiah spoke of this in Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, a light will shine on them. Christ in his earthly ministry brought what so many Old Testament saints longed for. He brought hope. Every Old Testament saint longed for hope. Jesus Christ steps on the scene and he brings that great anticipation. He brings hope. He brought hope to those who saw God's law as a mirror that revealed to them how sinful and wicked they are. As Isaiah, or rather Ezekiel 36, 25 prophesied, And I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. He brought those who would offer sacrifices day after day, year after year, hoping in one who will come. So they do not have to offer the same sacrifices. But one will come who will take away their sins forever. Hebrews 10.11 tells us of this one. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He brought those who feared death. Those who thought that death was the end. Do you remember what, angel, what the angel told, told uh, uh, in Matthew 28? The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. He has risen. He brought hope to those who died in the Lord and were awaiting in Abraham's bosom. We call this Holy Saturday. Jonah speaks of this in Jonah 2.2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and he heard my voice. He brought hope to creation. Oh, creation. Yes, saints, even creation. St. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 8.22. All creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth. And saints of God, he's brought hope to us. He's brought hope to us, has he not? What do we hope for? There's many things. What we can say, though, is we eagerly await the return of Christ. That's what we hope for. And what does Christ tell us? Behold. I can't wait for Pastor Antonio to touch this. Revelation 22, 12. Behold, I am coming quickly. I am coming quickly. Congregation, all of what we hope for 
is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Young person, all of hope that you ever need is found in Jesus Christ. We hope for a righteous standing before God. We got that. We hope for a sacrifice that would satisfy God. We got that. We hope for our bodies to be reunited with our souls, for our graves not to be the resting place. Christ was raised from the dead. Saints of God, this hope that I present to you is nothing less than the gospel. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the gospel that St. Paul says to these Christians in Colossae, do not shift from this hope. Hear me now, congregation. Do not shift from the hope of the gospel. Because, saints of God, when you shift away from the gospel, what are you left with? What are you left with? If you shift away from the hope that God has given to you, what are you left with? There might be some here today who are on the verge of shifting from the hope of the gospel. There might be here some today who are on the verge of shifting away from the hope of the gospel. There might be here some today who sin and the beatings of life are causing you to shift away from the hope of the gospel. Maybe your marriage is causing you to shift away from the hope of the gospel. How bad your child is, is causing you to shift away. Your job and how difficult your uh, co-workers and, 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 and just the situation that you're in may cause you to shift away from the hope of the gospel. Congregation, hear me now. Hold fast. Hold fast to Jesus Christ. Hold fast to the gift of hope that the world cannot buy, but was given to you. Do not fear, congregation. Do not fear when you fall from when you fall into sin. Do not fear, congregation. Do not fear fear itself. Do not fall into the sin of despair. The hope of virtue allows us to see that in the midst of the difficulties of faith that will that we will face in this life, that in the midst of the purification of faith that we will take place, that we will not fear the loss of faith. That we will not fear when we are in the darkness, congregation. That we will not lose God. That when we are in the darkness, that God will hold on to me. We will not fear when we are in the refiner's fire. And oh, how many of us are in that fire right now. We will not fear, saints, that we will get burned. God will protect us. Saints of God, the virtue of hope tells us that we will not fear of not knowing whether or not we can survive the fight that we are in. For the virtue of hope allows us to say like David in Psalm 91, I say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The virtue of hope allows us to echo the words of David. That God got me. God has me. There may be some today who look at all the injustices in the world. You watch CNN, MSNBC, all these people. You see the wickedness of man more and more on display. And you say to yourselves, is there any hope to hope for? Out of all of what I'm seeing, is there any hope for me to hope for? In fact, there was one minister, popular minister, a church the size of all the churches in Bakersfield. He saw all the wickedness on the on the news. And what did he do? He stopped believing that hell exists. He stopped believing in hell exists. He lost his hope in biblical doctrine. 
Oh, saints of God, hear me now. Before you watch the news, read your word. Before you watch the news, before you hear Anderson Cooper, before you listen to these ones who will tell you of all and how bad the world is, read the word of God. Get some hope in your soul. But if that is you, congregation, be of good cheer. Because you're not alone in thinking this way. There is also someone who looked at the world and saw all of the injustices. The prophet Micah saw the same things we see today. He saw the evil of men. He saw the wickedness of leaders and judges. And do you remember, congregation, what Micah says after he reflected on all the sin that he sees in the world? He says, but as for me, I will be on the watch for the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. The virtue of hope allows this congregation to have confidence in God and his promises. But we have to ask congregation one last question. The question of all questions pertaining to our text. What great hope is there for us in the gospel? What great hope is there for us in the gospel? Again, St. Paul says, shifting from the hope of the gospel What is the great hope that we as Christians are all longing for? There's much we can say. We can long for the resurrection when our souls will be united to our bodies. We can long for the glorification of our bodies. But saints of God, the great hope for the gospel is this, amongst others, is that we will see God one day. That is the great hope of the gospel. That those who could not see God can now see God. No other text brings us out, Christian, than David's words in Psalm 17. David says in verse 14, For my people, from people by your hand, Lord, from people of the wicked, whose portion is in this life, whose belly you fill with your treasure, they are satisfied with children and leave their abundance to their babies. What does the world find satisfaction in? What does the world find their hope in? What is the hope for the unbeliever? The psalmist says here, The hope for the unbeliever is only in this life. Satisfaction for the unbeliever is only in this life. Their portion is only in this life. And when David says these words in verse 14, notice he's not complaining to the God. He's not saying, Lord, I see how much better the wicked are than me. He's not he's not comparing in that way. He's not saying, look at all the cars they have. All the the wonderful things they have. And look at me, God. But rather, he's making an observation. David looks at his enemies. He looks at the wickedness of the world. He sees them prospering. And he sees their hope is only found in this life. To David, the world finds their ultimate satisfaction in things in this life. Why? Because the atheist, the Muslim, Jehovah Witness, the Mormon, the skeptic, the agnostic, the unbeliever, they only have hope reserved for this life. There is no hope for them beyond this life. The world finds contentment in this life. And saints, this is the reason why David, and this is the reason why you should not envy the world. This is why you should not be jealous of the world. David has no reason to be envious for the prospering of the wicked. Because David has the virtue of hope. David knows that there's something that awaits him that far surpasses anything that the world has. 
And what does he say in verse 15? He says, as for me. As for me. Oh, how I love the beginning of verse 15. It's as if in verse 14, David looks at the world. He sees everything that they have, all the prospering that they have. And then he looks to heaven. And he says, but as for me. He says, as for me, as to my satisfaction, as for my hope, as for what awaits me. Oh, David echoes the words of St. Paul in Romans 18. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. What is David looking forward to, congregation? What are you looking forward to? What's the hope of the gospel? It's simply this. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. And I shall be satisfied with your likeness when I awake. Oh, saints of God, what a glorious day it will be. When we fall asleep and we wake back up, you will wake up two times. You will wake up first intellectually. You will have that blessed vision of God. You think you know God now. Wait till you die. You think you love God now. Wait till you die. You think you've seen the most beautiful thing that you've ever seen in the world. Wait till you die. Oh, you think you've, you think you've tasted the sweetest thing you've ever tasted. Oh, wait till you die, congregation. Oh, congregation, this vision that David speaks of, and I'm not going to elaborate on this, we will one day, is the beatific vision. When we will see God, we will know God, we will love God, without any distractions, without any temptation. We will love God the way the soul ought to love God. And then when we get our bodies back. And then when we get our bodies back. I forgot who said it in the text. But he says, in my flesh, I will see him. We will see Jesus Christ. We will see Jesus Christ. Saints of God, someone asks you, what do you hope for, Christian? To see Jesus? To see God? To see the one whom I've talked about this whole time? The one who I've been praying to? The one who I've been reading about? The one who I've been studying about? To see that one. That's who I'm waiting for. And saints of God, here's the great news. You will see him one day. You will see him one day. Cling on to the hope of the gospel. I close with the words of Hebrews in 10.23. Let these words enrich your heart like it did mine. Let us hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let's pray.